Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Make sure you're raising plenty of cash to have excess reserves for those downturns, which there's certain to be one here in the coming months. And if you're a passive investor looking to invest in an offering, make sure that the sponsor is raising plenty of cash so that they don't run short and put your investment at risk. First, a quick word from our best ever partner, PropStream. PropStream is an all-in-one platform that gives you the tools you need to reach more leads, book more meetings, and close more deals with less work. With PropStream, you can find vacant and off-market properties in seconds, nationwide or specific to any zip code. You can skip trace owner information, find cash buyers specific to an area, and find other investors to potentially partner with or fund your deals. PropStream provides you the comprehensive data and market insight you need to be at the top of your real estate game. PropStream also features state-of-the-art marketing tools that allow you to send out direct mail postcards and ringless voicemail. Even if you're not in real estate, PropStream can help you locate high net worth individuals to invest in your non-real estate business. Or if you are in real estate, then you can find them to invest in your real estate business. You can use this tool to find people who have millions of dollars in equity in their homes. And you can reach out to them via email, telephone, or snail mail. This is the perfect real estate investing tool for wholesalers and real estate agents, real estate investors, and entrepreneurs. I love how easy the PropStream website is to use. With a few clicks, you can review comps in the area or estimate rehab costs prior to purchasing a property. Act now to take advantage of the plethora of properties that have and will continue to hit the market during this time. And best ever listeners, you know we got something special for you. You're going to receive a free seven-day all-access trial to experience all the features this powerful tool has, and you'll experience it firsthand. Just go to your 7 dayfreetrialcom That's Y-O-U-R, the number seven, dayfreetrial.com. Get started with this. Get your seven-day free trial and start growing your business even more so than you have been. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hello, best ever listeners, and welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Theo Hicks, and today we'll be speaking with Brian Burke. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about yourself? 
I'm doing great as well. Thanks for asking and thanks for joining us again. So Brian was on the podcast all the way back in episode 301. So that was five years ago from when we're recording today. So make sure you check out that episode. And today we're going to talk about what Brian's been up to since then. So as a refresher, Brian is the president and the CEO of Praxis Capital, a vertically integrated real estate private equity firm. In the past 30 years, he has acquired over half a billion dollars in real estate, which covers 3,000 multifamily units and 700 single family homes using a proprietary software. He's also the author of The Hands-Off Investor. He is based in Santa Rosa, California, and you can say hi to him at his website, praxcap.com. That's P-R-A-X-C-A-P.com. So Brian, do you mind telling us a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on today? Absolutely. So I started out in this business 30 years ago, flipping houses and then grew into kind of what you'd call a production house flipper where we were doing about a hundred and something houses a year for a while there. Built a big rental portfolio of single family homes at the bottom of the market. And then about 20 years ago, we shifted some of our focus over to the multifamily side. And then about 10 years ago, actually about 12 years ago now, really started going full speed in the multifamily side. So our primary business focus right now is multifamily real estate. We acquire assets from Arizona all the way to Florida in the southern parts of the U.S. And right now we own in Arizona, Texas, Georgia, and Florida and shopping in several other markets as well. Our portfolio now is approaching 3,000 units. And that's really all we're doing right now is just focusing on operating our portfolio through the pandemic and looking for opportunities to grow the portfolio as we cross through to the other side. Sure. So I definitely want to focus on your multifamily business, but I know you recently released the Hands-Off Investor book and actually have it on my bookshelf behind me. So that book's focused towards past investors, right? Yeah, it struck me that there was no book out there really written to show passive investors how to invest in syndication offerings. You know, there's books out there and you guys did a great one on how to be a syndicator, how to raise money from other people how to structure syndication offerings, but there was no book to show those quote unquote other people. When you're using other people's money, there's no book to show the other people what to look for in those offerings to make sure that they're suitable for them. And I set out to change that and and help fill that gap. Perfect. So do you want to give, obviously it's a very long book, but maybe some tips on how to select the right sponsor, because obviously there's hundreds, if not thousands of sponsors out there who are investing in apartments. So how do I, someone who does not know anything about real estate, or at least not a lot about real estate, decide which sponsor to give my hard-earned money to? Well, the worst answer I can give is read the book first before you do anything. (laughs) But it's a true answer because if you don't know a lot about real estate, the book is going to teach you a lot about real estate because If you're going to be a building inspector, you need to know about construction techniques before you can inspect buildings. You might not have to be a contractor, but you have to know building techniques in order to know if contractors are doing the right thing. This is similar. If you're investing passively in real estate, you don't have to be buying real estate on your own, but you have to know enough about how to buy real estate, how to operate real estate, and what things to look for to make sure that you're making smart decisions when you're looking at passive opportunities. So I always say that the sponsor that you're investing with is the number one most important factor. 
if you find a good sponsor to invest with, chances are they're going to be bringing you quality offerings to invest in. And you can spend a little bit less time worrying about the real estate itself, as long as you can get past the sponsor that you're investing with. So my number one top tip for a passive investor is carefully select the sponsors that you invest with because they can make or break you. Okay. So let's transition into the active side now. And from my perspective, you see a lot of information when it comes to multifamily focused on raising money, focused on finding deals, maybe not so much underwriting deals, but it takes a little bit longer to elaborate on. Something you don't see a lot on, at least from my perspective, is asset management. So can we focus on that in this conversation? You maybe walk us through some of your best practices for asset management and more specifically, maybe kind of separate them between asset management tips for someone who has 50, 100 units as opposed to someone who has thousands and thousands of units. It's funny you ask that question because a lot of books out there, like guru courses and that sort of stuff, they always focus on the acquisition, right? It's always about, oh, you can find a deal, you can buy a deal, you can get the money for a deal. That process only lasts a few months, maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months for you to find something and get through escrow and buy it. People neglect the part that actually takes several years And of course, that's the part of asset management and property management and operating all the way through to success. It's a very, very important piece. And a smaller operator who owns a few units, maybe you own a few hundred or maybe a few dozen or maybe just a few, it's probably most efficient for you to use third-party property management where they can come in, manage the asset for you. You can leverage their expertise, you can leverage their team, their resources, their scale, their local market knowledge, and all those things to manage the property. And then managing the asset is really a job of managing the manager or managing the management company in this case, making sure that they're sticking to budgets, they're hitting targets, they're producing the income that you're looking to produce, that they're containing expenses. So when you've acquired the property, you've probably, or at least you've hopefully gone through and done a financial analysis forecast of what you think the income and expenses are going to look like. And your job as an asset manager in this case is to make sure that the management company is delivering to those objectives. As you scale and get larger, there's going to be a point where you might decide to manage your own assets. And that's what we did. We made this decision about three or so years ago to form our own management company. We have an expert that's in charge of the management company that runs it and basically gives us complete control over our assets start to finish. So as you grow, now you're going to be thinking about enterprise grade property management and asset management systems, software, technology, all those things. So for us, we have a enterprise grade management system where I can look in there at any time, all the way on the property management level to see rent rolls, income and expense reports. I can look and see move-ins and move-outs and all those kinds of things all the way up to the asset management level where I can get key performance indicators for individual properties, the portfolio as a whole or a subset of the portfolio at a glance in a single dashboard. So having those kinds of tools is critical as your business grows because now you're actually running a large company here, not just managing a small property at that point. When you made a decision to transfer from third party to in-house management, Was it a certain dollar amount? Was it a certain number of units? Or was it something else that made you decide to make that transition? 
there were really three factors at play. One was we felt that the scale that we were looking to achieve and we were beginning to achieve, we were at about 1,500 units when we made this decision, was such that we felt we could support a dedicated property management team. And when you've only got a few units or a few hundred units, the management fees associated with that don't support having an entire company dedicated to property management. As you get larger, you add up those management fees, you realize, okay, I could hire a full-time person with these management fees and we can start to do that. So that was one of the aspects. The other was that we were looking for institutional investors to invest alongside us in our assets. And our experience has been institutional investors prefer to invest with groups that manage their own assets. So in order to have the key to unlock that door, we needed to bring it in-house. And third and finally, and probably most importantly, the team that I needed became available. In other words, I met through a mutual contact, someone who had started national multifamily management company footprint six times in his 40-year career, had done it for large institutional owners at about 45,000 units of property management experience. And I had the ability to bring him on board with us to head up our management company. And when all the stars align and the time is right, you pull the trigger and that's what we saw. All the stars were aligned and it was just time. So logistically, how does that transition work? Is it very similar to the transition when you take over a property where it's just like an instantaneous thing? Or was there a longer transition where your new team worked with a third party team to make sure they knew what was going on first? Maybe walk us through how that works. We did it a little bit differently. So it's interesting because the CEO of my management company, he had previously with another organization that he worked for, took about 25,000 units from third-party management to in-house management in about a 90-day period of time. So he's got experience doing that. We chose not to go that route. Instead, what we did is we just started folding in all of our new acquisitions into the internal management company and left the existing portfolio with third party. And then we just kind of slowly started moving it over as the time was right. So really all the new acquisitions went into the new management company. Most of the stuff that we had with third party was getting a little bit towards the end of its life where we were going to be selling anyway. And so we could let it ride with the management that was in place. And then as we sold those off the management company, we had just basically management company attrition. We did this change about three years ago. We still have one property left that's third-party managed, and maybe we'll transition that one someday, or or maybe we just wait until we sell. Transitioning a little bit to what you were talking about with the software and the technology and the management system. So for you, is that kind of what you're doing to track the progress at the property or just going into that software? Or I'm assuming you still have meetings with someone at the property management company that you own. So what's frequency of those conversations? And what are some of the important things you talk about maybe like what's the recurring agenda for those conversations? Just like a third-party management company, we have the same high-level conversations on a regular basis. So we do a weekly to bi-weekly call with the senior management team where essentially everybody on the capital and acquisition side is on that call along with the property management operations team. So our org chart on the management company side, we have a CEO that's in charge of the company. We have a chief operating officer that's in charge of the on the ground street level stuff. And then we have area vice presidents that are in charge of a certain region. So those individuals will be on the call with us. We'll discuss each property and 
its performance, anything that has come up that we need to be aware of. We'll look at all the KPIs to see, okay, this property maybe is running a little lean on occupancy. What are we going to do about that? And, and have conversations that are targeted based upon what we're seeing in the data. So we treat it just like a third-party management company. Really, just the advantage to us is, is that because we own the management company wholly, we have complete control over all those personnel. We have the access to all the software so that we can see the entire portfolio through our business intelligence platform and you kind of have everything in a unified spot. And this system is pretty robust. It drills all the way down to the property level. The property managers on site use the same software that I'm looking at for day-to-day property management. So when they do a move-in, it's going in this system. The rent rolls are generated through this system. The invoices go through this system. So it's basically an entire property management company in a box. Perfect. And before we get into the money question, as the head of this massive multi-company organization, what does your week-to-week look like? Well, I would say that the majority of my time is spent on answering emails. <laughs> it's really just an exercise of you're getting pinged constantly from different directions for, hey, we need this or there's that, or here's a deal coming up, or here's an issue at a property we need to address. But really, I spend a lot of time in the office. I like to tell people I'm just basically chained to my desk between investor communications and oversight of the assets. And I'm pretty hands-on guy. So that means that I have to spend a lot of time looking at absolutely everything, which means I don't get very far away from a computer very often. All right. Well, Brian, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Well, it's 2020 as we're recording this. We're in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic. I think the best real estate investing advice I can ever give is most applicable to a time just like today. And this advice is actually designed for the climate that we're currently in. And that is don't take on too much debt. Investors who buy with conservative leverage were the ones that survived the last recession the ones that took on too much debt are the ones that failed in the last recession. So don't take on too much debt, but couple that with always have plenty of cash. So if you're a syndication sponsor and you're raising money from individuals for your deals, make sure you're raising plenty of cash to have excess reserves for those downturns, which there's certain to be one here in the coming months. And if you're a passive investor looking to invest in an offering, make sure that the sponsor is raising plenty of cash so that they don't run short and put your investment at risk. Can you be a little bit more specific? So how much extra money are you raising? Is it based off of the purchase price? Is it per unit? Is it a lump sum that you always do for every property? Yeah, we tend to do ours as a percentage and that varies too. So I guess about a year ago, our percentage would be 1% of the purchase price of the property just for free cash. And then you're also going to have additional cash that you're going to have for funding impound accounts, funding utility deposits, funding a first month's mortgage payment. All of those are in addition to the 1% free cash. Nowadays, I've been increasing that. We're looking more at 1.5% free cash. Plus, we're also abiding by the agency requirements for nine months principal and interest reserve that goes into a lender controlled account. So in, in that case, sometimes we're raising as much as three or even three and a half or 4% sometimes of the purchase price of the property just for cash reserves. And then the other thing that we do is a lot of people like to use extra leverage to boost investor returns by 
funding capital expenses like unit upgrades, new roofs, that sort of stuff through a lender controlled reserve that's through a bridge loan where you're basically borrowing the renovation dollars and you're drawing them off as you renovate. We're not doing that. We're raising the renovation money ahead of time in cash. So in that case, we may have a few million dollars that are available for us to do renovations. But if things go really bad, that's a lot of excess cash that we also have that allows us to survive an adverse event. So when it comes to having cash reserves, all I can say is the more the merrier. All right, Brian, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's hit it. All right, first, a quick word from our sponsor. PropStream is an all-in-one platform that gives you the tools you need to reach more leads, book more meetings, and close more deals with less work. With PropStream, you can find vacant and off-market properties, locate potential investors, or gain invaluable market insight in seconds. PropStream also features state-of-the-art marketing tools that allow you to send out direct mail postcards and ringless voicemail which will help you close more deals with less stress. Visit your7dayfreetrial.com to start your free trial and experience all the amazing features PropStream has to offer. That's your, the number seven, dayfreetrial.com. Ever wonder how the top in real estate got there? The Invest This podcast hosted by real estate investor Scott Bauer interviews the top names in the industry, giving you the tips and tricks that help you catapult your real estate business to success. Find them at investthispodcast.com. Okay, what is the best ever book you've recently read? I really like this book called TED Talks, and it was written by the guy that is in charge of the TED Talk organization. It was a great book that talks about techniques for public speaking and as an author, as a business executive, and as someone who is in the financial services industry raising money from high net worth individuals and family offices, it's really important that we're able to effectively speak in public. And this was a great book to help find new ways to engage your audience. If your business were to collapse today, what would you do next? I'd do it again. I've already been through this before. I've survived multiple market cycles, the Great Recession. In 30 years time, I've had the chance to reinvent myself several times over through different market cycles. And I've been very fortunate that in 30 years of doing this, I've never lost a nickel of investor principal. So I would first do everything I can to safeguard the investors that I have already. And then I would build the business right back up to where I have it now. They can take away the business, but they can't take away the knowledge. What is the best ever deal you've done? Boy, I've got a lot of those. I'll take a recent one. We've got one right now that I'm really proud of. It was two properties next door to each other that we bought for about a little under $40 million for the two of them from two different sellers that were listed by two different brokers at almost the same time. We ended up buying both properties. And then what we did is we basically just cut down a small section of fence on a driveway that connected the two properties. And then we're able to make the two properties into one. One of the properties was using an apartment unit as a leasing office. So we ran all the leasing out of the the other property that had a real leasing office, converted that unit back into a rentable unit. But by combining the two properties, instead of having a little over 200 units each, we have one property that's almost 540 units. By doing that, we achieved some incredible economies of scale. We saved a ton of expenses. We were also able to increase rents a dramatic amount because the property was under-rented. We were able to make some really good improvements. And 
within about a year to a year and a half's time, just based off of the increased income, we resubmitted that to our lender to look at a refinance and found that we'd increased the value of that property by about $10 million in about a year and a half's time. So a 25% increase in a really short time is a great accomplishment and $10 million is a really meaningful number. What is the best ever way you like to give back? Ours is through a charity organization that I started with Jay Heinrichs, a friend of mine. It was really his idea. I can't take all the credit for it. It's called A Hero's Home. You can find it at aheroeshome.org. We're raising money for the purpose of providing a fully fixed up, renovated home, free and clear to a deserving U.S. veteran, service member, or first responder, something that's near and dear to my heart. And I just can't wait to hand those keys over one day here soon. We're about two thirds of the way towards our goal. That's awesome. Lastly, what's the best ever place to reach you? The best ever place is just as you said at the top of the show through our website, praxcap.com. It's P-R-A-X-C-A-P.com. You can also find me on Instagram, either investor Brian Burke or at PraxCap. And also I'm on biggerpockets.com quite frequently answering questions on the forum. So you can frequently find me there as well. All right, Brian, I really enjoyed our conversation today. A lot of takeaways. We focused mostly on on asset management, but before we got into that, we did briefly talk about passive investing. It's the most important decision for a passive investor is selecting the right sponsor. And your advice was to read your book or basically get educated on the process so that you will know if the sponsor is doing the right thing. And from asset management, we talked about the difference between being a smaller operator and a larger operator, which is really who is actually managing the deal. So when you're smaller, it's better to go with third party, but eventually get to the point where it makes more financial sense to go with the larger operator. And we talked about the advantage of that, which essentially gives you complete control over the personnel. It allows you to have access to the same software that the management company does. You mentioned when you made your transition and the three factors were one, that scale we just talked about. The second one was when you want to work with institutional investors, they prefer in-house management. And then the third one was that the team you wanted happened to become available. We talked about how you actually did the transition and there's really two ways to do it. You mentioned that the CEO of your property management company had experience doing full transitions over a 90 day period, whereas you guys instead decided to include new acquisitions into this new management company. And then the existing ones remained a third party. And then whenever you sold those, they obviously left a third party management. And you got one left that you need to sell before you're fully managed by your own property management company. We talked about the communication with your management company, which is basically the same as it is with a third party, bi-weekly calls. Everyone on your team is on those calls. We talk about each individual property and their performance, anything that has come up at those properties that you know about, focusing on those high-level KPIs as well. We talked about what your week looks like, which is just answering a lot of emails and hanging out at your desk. And then we talked about your best ever advice, which was twofold, which was don't take on too much debt because those are the investors that did not survive during the last recession and the ones who did not take on too much debt did survive. Then we talked about having plenty of cash and access reserves. And I really liked when you said the reason why you are raising the capital for innovations is that it kind of gives you the opportunity to have even more excess cash if something were to happen. You can pause renovations and have all that money as opposed to borrowing that from the lender and you have access to, I guess, none of that money. I mean, you kind of gave more specifics on the numbers 
for raising extra money for free cash. So really enjoyed the conversation. Brian, best of your listeners, as always, thank you for listening. Have a best ever day, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.